What's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. We got some exciting interviews coming up and some awesome news. This week, I interview my friend Matt Diavella. Matt is the director of the Netflix documentary Minimalism. He's an amazingly talented filmmaker. He's also got his own YouTube channel where he's kind of using himself to experiment with personal growth, self-help. He's doing some 30-day challenges right now. He quit sugar for 30 days. He did 30 days of cold showers. He does some social media detoxes. I have, for some godforsaken reason, committed to doing 30 days with no coffee and no caffeine with him. I'm a little squeamish about it, but I already said I would, so I'm going to do it. To say that Matt is a YouTuber isn't quite doing him justice. He's got the chops to do film anywhere he wants, and he's chosen to make content for himself to help other people. He also hosts a podcast called The Ground Up Show, which his latest interview is with Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. You'll also find me on his show. We'll put a link to that one below. And in our podcast, we had a really great talk. We talked about self-reliance and what it takes to create your own path, dealing with negative feedback when you're a creator and especially a solopreneur, and how to take the first steps to get started on your dream, plus many, many more. I love this episode. Matt, you're my dude. Check it out. Also, news. News in the world of Cat and Cloud. If you're looking at your podcast player today, you'll probably notice that we have some fresh new cover art. And we've also moved our podcast category. So we've moved out of that food and beverage and into the education category. Now, if you're already subscribed, this is not going to affect you. You'll keep getting the podcast like normal. But if you're looking for us or if you haven't subscribed, go search for Cat and Cloud. It'll pop up. But we'll be under that education tab. As we progressed in the podcast, the podcast has started to take a natural turn from strictly coffee into business, education, basically breaking down and packaging the things that we've learned from starting this small business, creating a culture, and how to make work feel like more than just mm, something that you don't actually want to go to. So if you think you know someone that would get value from this kind of stuff, please share the podcast, subscribe if you haven't already. It really means the world to us. Thank you in advance. I love it. In other podcast land news, Evelyn, host of the One in One series, has graduated to her very own podcast channel. That's right. She's got her own channel art. Got a little picture of her on there looking happy like she does. If you haven't checked out the One in One series, the One in One series is basically her project to get close, dig underneath the surface of what we might think about people and kind of get to the core of who people are. There's a tendency to package all of us in this industry as, oh, you're a barista, you're a roaster, but we're really so much more than that. So she digs in to some of our employees and some people that don't work for us who are just part of the cat and cloud culture. There's going to be a link in the description for her channel. So you're going to want to go down there and subscribe to that too, to keep the train rolling, to keep the good vibes going, make everyone hyped. And on behalf of everyone at Cat and Cloud, I want to say thank you. The podcast has been such an amazing platform to connect with you, to detoxify our own brains from these ideas that build up and share information. And you've been so receptive, and we're happy to bring what's going to be the next evolution in the Cat and Cloud podcast. So with that, we're going to shut this bad boy down. Going to get into my interview with Matt Diavella and let us know what you've learned. Hit us up on Instagram, leave something in the comments, throw us some email, info at catandcloud.com. We want to hear what you want to hear. We want to hear what you learned. Let's get into it. <laughs> 
The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable. And they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com that's s-t-e-e-p-e-d coffee.com asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch if you're in santa cruz come on by any of the cat and cloud locations we have it there for you basically they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned pre-ground innovation so tell all your friends I'm always the one when I'm looking at my podcast. I'm always the one that's peaking. I'm always the one. Really? Yeah, I dude, think, you're so chill though. I think it's because I, I'm more clo- I'm closer to the mic than most people. Gotcha. Is there anything I need to know? Uh, cursing? I feel like you I can do whatever. Yeah. yeah, you can. You can yell. Can I pour this water over my face? Yeah, dude. <laughs> you can do all of these things. Sweet. You're a full time YouTube content creator currently. Yeah. No. I, yeah. It's a new thing. I haven't always been a YouTuber. I used to think I was a filmmaker, but then everybody started calling me a YouTuber. Ew, you probably are a filmmaker. You're definitely yeah. a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah, Natalie, uh, this is the nicest thing she's ever said to me, but she said that I was overqualified for YouTube because she came to the apartment and I had this green screen set up and I had like all these lights and cameras and like three microphones. And she's like, this is a, this is a bit much, Matt. You're making YouTube videos. More than just a vlogger. More than just, yeah. Somebody did it, made a really nice... Uh, like delve into my videos and kind of breaking them down. And he was just saying that it was like a vlog mixed with like a vice video slash documentary and a YouTube video all in one. And I was like, that's, that was really nice. And I mean, maybe it's just because I'm like so scattered. (laughs) Maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe I need more focus. One of, one of our friends, Alex, who actually works for us, introduced me to your stuff. And the first video that I saw of yours was the day in the life of a minimalist. Mm. He, he said, you have to check out this guy, Matt. He's doing all these things. It kind of jives with some of the same stuff that we talk about here at work. And I was like, okay, cool. Check it out. Watch the video. And the first thing that I noticed was that you don't run ads, which was an interesting thing for me to see. And you were a lot less sensational than what you might think if you were to take the cut, copy, and paste what a YouTuber is. When I think of YouTube, I think of someone who has their face really close to the camera, who has insane facial expressions, maybe yelling, maybe screaming, really hard, crazy jump cuts. It's almost like uh, they become a caricature of themselves. And I'm curious as to, one, why you decided to transition into doing more short-form content on a different platform than you started, and where did you look at that from from a business per like a business perspective. So you have all the skills, chops, quote unquote, to cut it probably in making any kind of films that you want. What's so intriguing about this platform for you? It was really about self-reliance for me in that I, I made a documentary for Netflix for Netflix and it did pretty well and it gave me the option to sit back and be like, 
do I want to, I mean, this was my first time making an original film and it was, it, it was amazing to see people actually respond and like it and also make money from it. I was like, maybe I can do more of this because before that it was all freelance client work and I loved it. It was fulfilling, but it was also work and I had to deal with clients and I had to make them happy at the end of the day. It was more about them than it was about me and about what I wanted to make. So I was like, can I actually create something for myself? Can I build up an audience that would be into the videos I'm making regardless of, you know, if I had somebody paying for the video? And like that to me allowed me to take the first step to be like, I want to be an original content creator. I just want to have ideas like minimalism and put them out into the world and talk about them and then create a discussion, but then also have an audience that would be willing to consume them or would be willing to to watch them or to contribute and and that was actually the big quest over the past two years for me to do because that's really difficult it's really challenging to build an audience and I wasn't into YouTube I didn't really like I mean I didn't watch YouTube I knew Casey Neistat was but I didn't know who any other YouTubers were I couldn't have named any for you and so I wasn't I didn't know or have this expectation of this is how a YouTuber acts even if I did, I don't think I would have embraced that persona because there was also a part of me that was like, I don't want, I don't want my friends to make fun of me, so I'm just going to be myself. And they can't make fun of me if I'm self-deprecating or I'm adding humor to my videos and if I'm just being me. But if I'm pretending to be this self-help guru that I'm not, my friends are going to shit all over me. So there was, I think, all of those things at play that helped me to, to be able to just bring my own voice uh, to the table and not copy somebody else's. Did you ever, before you started, set aside some time to think about, okay, I'm entering into this space. I'm, I'm committing to being myself. I'm going to do me to a fault, whether that's because I want to or because my friends are going to give me a bunch of shit because, Matt, you're acting like a fucking asshole. What, what's going on? Did you ever think about where are certain lines in the sand? Like, I will do this, I won't do that in terms of whether it's making money, doing sponsored content, or even just collaborating with someone who was maybe questionable in character. Yeah, I think that in terms of the the collaboration, that's a really good point because somebody did ask me that once. It's like, like how 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 do you go about picking people to collaborate with or to have on your podcast or in one of your videos? And for me, it, in the beginning, like it did seem like it was a strategy as well to find people that were influencers or popular or had big followings. And many of them that I met were, were actually good people and really interesting and funny or whatever. But then there was definitely a percentage of people that I was like, oh, I don't like you. <laughs> or like, I mean, or very like simply, we don't really, we don't click or connect. Or when I really look at their work, I'm like, do I actually, did I just you know, invite them to come hang out with me because they have a big following or do I really respect their work? And for me, it just then became, I have to at minimum respect their work. Do I, can I learn something from them? Is there something they're doing way better than me that I could actually get something from? So like those became the metrics and not just like how many views their videos get. Like I stopped caring about that. And I think that kind of became the point at which I was, I think, moving away from caring so much about the numbers, so much about success, and I was able to actually have more meaningful interactions with people. I think there was a three-part question there, but yeah, <laughs> I no, got one of them. 
I, you're in the you're in the zone with that one. When when you're looking at people like that and you're you're evaluating them, and like you said, one of those metrics is can I learn something from this person? Are they doing something better than I'm doing it? Is there another is there another aspect to that that just has strictly to do with someone's character or something we would call values, maybe? Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, if like you, for instance, you you sent me a voice message. And you just said, like, Matt, I fucking love your videos. I want to send you some coffee. And then I was like, dude, I mean, I get, like, some, not that many voice messages, but I get a decent amount of emails. And I don't, like, I, I usually click all of them, but I don't respond to many of them. But then once I started playing your audio, I was like, this dude is amazing. Like, this dude gets it. You were so authentic. And you were so, like, I don't give a shit. Don't mention this on your podcast. I just want to send you coffee because I like your stuff. And then for me, I was like, that sounds like an awesome dude. It didn't matter that you like happen to like have an awesome YouTube channel and all this other stuff. For me, it was your character and it was your personality that drew me to want to collaborate with you uh, or just take your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take the coffee. Yeah. So it's interesting that you bring that up because in the voicemail that I sent you, I was like, hey, just have the coffee, enjoy it or whatever. And you put it in one of the videos. Yeah. And one of my friends actually sent it to me before I saw it. And it's like, I heard your voice in Matt's video, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I think I know what happened, so I watched it. And I was scrolling through some of the comments that you were getting on that video, and there were a few people in there that were like, oh, I thought you didn't do ads, or I thought this was oh, an really? ad-free channel, mm. or I don't know if you saw any of those. No, I but didn't. <laughs> for a moment, I then felt bad, and I was felt guilty that I was in some way creating this environment that would allow you to, quote-unquote, mislead your audience, even though that's not what you were doing at all, how much attention do you pay to negative feedback that you get in your comments section? I try not to. So I try to be very active, like in the first day of like going through and looking at comments and like hearting them and, and kind of because I, you know, it's amazing to me that I put out a video and somebody cares enough to like leave a comment. That's really cool. I, I can't respond to every single one. And it's difficult because as you continue to scroll down through them, uh, it's like fortunate to have so many, to have a couple hundred comments up to like a couple thousand comments on a video is amazing. But with that amount, you also get like these people <laughs> and they, they leave comments that are hurtful and disheartening. And like somebody, I read a comment a couple of days ago or somebody saying like, does it, um, is it tough do you get bored from your videos because they're not creative <laughs> and, wow. you just, and you just do the same thing every week? And I was like, this son of a bitch. <laughs> and it's like, crack my knuckles. I'm going to have to respond to this. Motherfucker. I'm going to get him. Yeah. I'm like, what am I doing here? Just, I mean, but it's still like, it sticks with me to this day. And one out of a hundred comments could be bad uh, or negative. And it sticks to you like Velcro. And like, it, it's hard for me to shake off. So, that's why I, I try I try to do my best to like respond and have comments and discussions with people. But for the most part, I like the Seth Godin approach where he's not active. He doesn't comment and talk with people. He's one of the most prolific authors of our time. And he's written 15 bestselling books and he writes a blog post every day. And he just puts it out and he's he's like, it's the world can do what they want with it now. They can hate it. They can share it. They can be inspired by it or not. But my job is done. My job was to create it. And I just really love that. And that's something that I, I try to internalize and not let um, potential negative comments steer me 
away. Are you familiar with Cal Newport? Cal Newport, yeah, Deep Work. Deep Work, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I got the book right here. Yeah, so and his TED Talks is quit social media. I think he's such an interesting person because here's someone who is insanely popular, driving culture in a real way, and engages in social media absolutely zero. So Mm -hmm. every piece of content that he puts out just kind of sits in the world. It's there for people to digest if they want or not. But there's no negative feedback loop associated with that, which is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. How do you how do you view that like for yourself? And like, you know, do you feel a pressure to like reply to comments and talk to people? And, you know, I feel I feel a lot of pressure. I I feel it's so special. And maybe this is me feeling corny, but if one person watches the video, that's crazy. Like that still blows my mind, especially coming from where I came from making videos, which we talked about before, like when both of us started making videos, there wasn't an easy audience to be had. There was no direct line to people. So the fact that I can edit something, shoot something, edit something together, and then people can see it is is nuts to me. Compounded by the sea of people who create things out there, it's like, man, there's a ton of options for things that you could watch. Yeah. You know, if you have an hour or whatever that you want to devote to digesting comment on YouTube or Netflix, there's an endless sea of things that you could go through. But someone wanted to watch my stuff. And I feel like, man, I want to be there. But I do the same thing that you do, which is I try to go on that same day. Mm -hmm. I'll hit everyone or maybe not everyone, but a certain amount. Isn't it weird when you go through and you're like harding everyone and you're like, that comment was questionable. Do you? Like, I, you I know just I mean? hard I, him anyway. I hard <laughs> him anyway. I'm just like whatever. Heart, yeah, but heart, sometimes heart. They, they might be saying something like mean about somebody that I featured in the video. Oh, you know what I mean. That that's me never is, happened to me. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it happens. And then you're like, <laughs> do I do I like this? Or I mean, actually, I did a video on personal finance, and then I mentioned like Dave Ramsey, who like huge inspiration to me, and like a lot, like basically all my financial guidance is based on a few books, one by him. And then somebody said, like Dave Ramsey, but better. And then I was like, I can't heart this because like I don't think I'm better than Dave Ramsey at giving personal finance advice. He's kind of like the king of personal he's, finance. I mean, up there. total money makeover is just some next level stuff. It's amazing. It's we, it, honestly, I, I, dude, if if I got an affiliate for how many times I've mentioned his book, I would have twelve dollars. <laughs> we've used that twice in our lives, my wife and I, that Mm. his program, we were introduced to it by some mutual friends who went to one of his courses because he he has these workshops that kind of teach the method hand on. And I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. So I dove into it and I had not as much debt as you, but I I paid it off a couple of times. But congrats, dude. Thank you. That's amazing. I appreciate that. With, With negative comments and either ignoring them, skipping them, is it hard to be a solopreneur, like someone who's creating just by themselves. And what I mean is this, if take cat and cloud, for an example, we have a coffee company. If there's, if there's a negative comment directed towards us, it kind of gets deflected or eaten up by the entity that is the company. And I don't necessarily personally have to deal with those where for you, everything's directed at you. Yeah. I, I mean, one thing there's, there's probably a couple of things at play here, but like, I'm not that, I don't have that big of, I I don't have a big ego. Uh, So I, it's, it's hard to strike me down because I'm already on the ground. (laughs) Like I, uh, but, uh, and then it's a problem too. Cause like, I mean, I have a pretty good amount of confidence in what I do, but somebody that could just like shit on my creativity or say that I'm not 
like coming up with new stuff, it can sting a little bit. And sometimes you need to have enough confidence to, to push past that. But it, I would say, I think I, when I was a freelance filmmaker and I had a company name as Catalyst or as Black Box Films, I had a couple of different names for my companies over the years. If somebody shit on one of my videos that I made or shit on my company, it was still, I knew it was me and it was my vision behind it. And it would still, I think, hurt in the same way because I put everything I have into my company. Um, and But that's also coming from a solo. I was still a solo creator at the end of it versus maybe it dissolves when you have like three to four other owners of a company. It's like some of that negativity, it doesn't personally hurt you as much. But it's like, it's something that I'm working on and I've gotten better at over the years, but I have found that the ignoring it is one of the best ways to go about it. The only problem I see with that is like, you, you should just be aware of feedback and you shouldn't be in a bubble. And if another, enough people are bringing up a point about maybe what you're doing and, and maybe about an idea you have that may be questionable, I think it's worth it to think about it and question our own ideas and not think that, oh, my ideas are better than everybody else's. You know what I mean? Like, be okay with being wrong. I was going to ask you what you think the hardest thing is about being in business by yourself. Hardest thing about being in business by yourself. Um, I don't know. I kind of love it. I, I kind of love it because, I, and I think I've always been better at like just motivating myself and not relying on other people. Um, but there, there is like a certain amount of pressure. Like it is all on you. Like that might be Natalie. Oh yeah. 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 We're going to have a guest appearance. Oh nice. This is great. Yeah. Did yeah. It? Come on in. <laughs> She's like looking so at the awesome. window. That was really nice of her to, to make sure. Nat, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Wow. <laughs> What's up? This is Chris. Hi. Hi, I'm Natalie. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I don't know if this is way too invasive or like ridiculous, but the funniest shit was when you were talking about you and the fucking charcuterie and like the cheese board. It was in one oh, of your videos. Oh, was it Puno? I think maybe Puno's episode. One of your podcasts yeah. or something. And they were like, yeah, Nat's like, oh man, this place would be rad if they had charcuterie. And yeah, Nat Natalie is charcuterie obsessed. It's it's actually she's a private school girl, so she's oh, okay. like she doesn't understand what it's like for regular people to struggle in life. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what is charcuterie? It's just cheese and meat on a board. <laughs> the funny thing is, is I love that shit. Yeah, I'm like the fucking most undercover, like bougie skateboarder that you ever met. I'm just you know. I like. <laughs> it was, I got the camo pants and the baggy shirt, and I'm just like, let's go get some fancy ass dinner, yeah, cocktails, let's get some sushi. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. All yeah. right, now nah, we'll let you go. You're gonna hide in the bed. Okay, sure. Yeah, do your thing. We're just gonna finish up this podcast. We can go as long as you want to. By the way. Oh no, we're. <laughs> that was amazing. That's all right. She's gonna run in it. Get out of here. Um, we were talking about you working all by yourself, <laughs> all alone. We were talking you being. Like the most lonely person on earth. Did yeah. you always know that you were going to end up working by yourself? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I do remember just moments in college, like working on projects. I was always, even if it would be a group project where we're creating a film, I would be the jerk that would just kind of like do it all by myself anyway. And then like, I would just, there was definitely like my major thesis was like a documentary and it was a team of like five people and I did everything because I loved it so much. 
and I, I tried to incorporate them into it, but they just they just didn't they weren't good. <laughs> they weren't good at what they did, and I had just way more experience, so I, I just always found it like I hate waiting around for other people to do it. Like when I was doing, um, I got inspired to get into filmmaking because of sketch comedy. And nobody would shoot my videos for me. I didn't know anybody who could film. So I was like, I'm just going to do it all myself. And that's how I got into it. And then that's how I learned to shoot, edit, to record audio, to capture better video, to then eventually put myself on camera. It's, uh, I just found that I work better, at least in the beginning of getting started in something, if I'm just completely self-reliant. So in your whole professional filming career, doing weddings, bar mitzvahs, documentary, the Netflix stuff, it's always been you by yourself. 90% of it. I mean, I would say that Well, a lot of my client work, I, I started hiring my friend Chris Newhart, who's uh, an amazing DP, and I would hire audio guys to come out to help with things. Netflix was, I mean, the minimalism documentary was primarily myself. Like, I edited 100% of it. My friend Chris color graded it. I shot 95 plus percent of it. I mean, and then you get stock footage, and I had maybe like four or five shoots there where I had a friend help out, but it was mostly myself. And I think that's, should be an encouraging thing because a lot of people think that, Oh, if I'm going to make a documentary, I need X, Y, Z. I need this camera or I need this amount of budget. I need this size crew. And it's like, actually, if you just put in the time, you can do this all yourself. Was there a moment when you knew that you could make this happen? And what I mean by that is one of the things that, brings us a great amount of joy is taking young people who have like a ton of dreams and just this vigor for life and putting them in a better situation to latch onto those dreams. So success for us is less about like what we do, but more about what we can equip other people to do. Was there a point in time when you realized I can do this? I feel empowered. I think when I made my first hundred dollars as a filmmaker in I was in living in Philadelphia. I was still in college and I just followed around a company, a clothing brand in Philly called Undercrown. I followed them around for the entire day and I just shot video of them. And then the owner went to an ATM at this like Chinese restaurant, pulled out a hundred dollars and then gave it to me. And I remember I took a photo of it. I sent it to my brother and I'm like, cash money, bro. <laughs> Made a hundred bucks. Yeah, what? <laughs> and then it was just crazy to me that somebody would pay me for this. Cause I was like, I would do this for free. And I think that was just a moment of like, I think everybody will remember the first time you get paid to do something that you really love. It feels like cheating. And I just knew I was able to do it. And the same thing happened even with uh, Patreon and actually starting my own original content or even like minimalism, like that making money. I was like, oh, I can do this. And you always have doubt and that doesn't go away. And just the fact that you have these experiences of even little wins, like $100, that reinforce what you're doing and, and motivate you to keep going. I want to unpack the $100 a little bit more. Yeah. Because you said you just started following them around. What does that look like in all practicality? Because I think a lot of people get stuck on just taking that first step. So did you know them? Were you you were friends with them? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I mean realistically i did start actually even like making videos for my school and i did like work study which was like i could technically make money but this was like my first client my sister had introduced me to this guy who was like the marketing director at this company and then i just started 
connecting with him. He was an early mentor of mine and, um, he, you know, basically, I think that we just had a bunch of like meetings of me and him just like hanging out, talking about stuff and just kind of getting to know each other. And eventually he's like, yeah, I could actually bring you on to like start shooting some video for this company that we're building. It was very early stages. So they kind of almost wanted to document their process of creating it. So it was all on him and to be like, yeah, so we're going to bring Matt on. He's just going to film us for the day. Like as we like, you know, whatever, it's maybe an interview or shooting some B-roll. I had no idea and I didn't have a lot of, I had no direction for myself and there was no, like, this is the piece that we're going to make. So that's how it played out. And it was very much guided by this, the, the, the connection that I had that brought me in. And I think the, the same thing happens with like, just it snowballs in a lot of ways. Like then that client then could lead me to another one. He may introduce me to somebody else. I might get another one just from Craigslist. And then you start to build some momentum and there's actually some structure. And then the videos have more of a purpose besides just capturing B-roll. How old are you when you made the hundred bucks? I was, I must have been, I want to say around 20 years old or so. And you say... The dude that you were working with ended up being kind of a mentor mm -hmm. to you. Was that something that you were actively looking for or was it serendipitous? How did, how did that mentorship work? Um, yeah, I think I was looking for it. I think at that point I had put a lot of time into making videos. I'd gotten sued for $7 million for creating a parody rap video. It's a very short story. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could just throw that out there, but I don't think I want to tell the whole story just because it's so long. I'm not being sued anymore. But um, it was just like creating YouTube videos, creating videos for fun, just getting like relatively good compared to where I was and compared to somebody who has no skills at all. Like the, the amount of progress I had in a couple of years was great. And I think he saw the potential in what I had and the fact that this was around the era pre-DSLR boom. So actually the, using video cameras. Yeah, I was using a Canon XHA1. So not many people were really in that space creating videos and and you know, there weren't many YouTubers at the time cuz this is like pre to that. This is probably 2008 or so, 2009. And this is I mean YouTube was taking off, but there I, I don't know Casey Neistat, I don't know what the time period was when he started, but like Close to around there. I think it was the DSLR era when he came in pretty strong. I have no idea. One thing that happened to me is I got introduced to that whole vlogger situation way, way, way late in the game. I had no idea. We were already open the shop. This was just maybe a year and a half ago. And I asked one of my friends who has a, a freelance film company he makes, just some of the same stuff like you did, weddings, shoots for individual clients. And I was like, hey, man, I'm not feeling super inspired who do you watch? And he referred me to two people. One of them was Casey Neistat, which who I'd never heard of because I didn't engage on YouTube that much. And then the other one, I was already making videos at the time, somehow never heard of him. And the other one was this guy, Evan Breen, who does these short little Vine videos that are hilarious. So I have no idea when he started. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's... Uh at the world completely changed, I think, when like Canon came out with the 5D Mark II and you could shoot video. And like the quality jump from the XHA1 to the Canon 5D, I don't think that kind of jump has happened uh, since then. I mean, the quality, because honestly, I think that if I was still using a Canon 5D Mark II, 
I think people probably still say, yeah, this video is pretty dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? The quality is pretty good. But if I was using a Canon XHA1, people would be like, what is this garbage? This it's, does not look like like film quality. Right. It's the leap from something that looks like a video to something that looks cinematic in like a movie. Yeah. And it, that to me is amazing, amazing and the most encouraging thing because people think they need the camera that was just released two weeks ago. But holy crap, can you get by with a camera that you could probably... You could probably find somebody that would give it to you for free. Like a Canon 5D Mark II, you're not going to sell it for more than a couple hundred, more than a hundred, two hundred dollars. And it's like what you can create with that is like, is, it's amazing. So I think that's actually encouraging. And, but also people think that they just need this other stuff first. So you've got the, the revolution happening in gear and you've latched onto this person who is mentoring you. When you say mentor, is he more of like a business, just someone who's believing in you and pushing you in that direction? Or is he actually creating stuff with you? Uh, he's making the connections and connecting me with some other companies. And he was, he was very much in like the hip hop industry and worked with brands like Nike and Puma. So he, was, uh, he played a role in helping me get some of my earliest clients and like connecting me with people. And also just like, I think it's, it's really great to be able to see somebody else that is far along and well-connected in an industry and respected. And it helps you to see like, oh, okay, like if I work hard at it, I can develop my own connections and relationships and I can build something for myself. Like there's that idea of you, you are the five people you surround yourself with. And I think that to see other people doing something at a high level and working with these world-renowned brands was, uh, it just showed me what was possible. Did you realize at the time how important those individual connections were going to be? Just having someone be your advocate and be like, hey, this is Matt. He makes really awesome stuff. You guys should give him a look. Yeah, no, I think that that's like, no, I, I don't, I mean, I think I did. I think I like, I appreciated it and I knew, cause like, dude, we were in, the first time I ever flew on a plane was to shoot a video with them and we flew out to Rock the Bells in Colorado and I was backstage with Talib Kweli. I was, uh, he offered me a joint and I said, no, still regret it. But I'm like filming Nas. I'm filming most deaf. I was most deaf was in the hotel room that night, my hotel room. And he comes past my sneakers. Cause I was big into sneakers at the time. He's like, yo dope. Are these the kicks that you guys are making for your company? And I was like, no, those are just my shoes. <laughs> Sick. And I'm like, that was just crazy. I was like, my God, like how lucky am I to be out at Denny's with most deaf? And, uh, it was it was a crazy experience, and yeah, I think that definitely I was grateful at the time. And you also just don't know where things are going to take you. You don't know how this step is going to lead to the next. And it's like you just have to go with your gut and do the best you can with, with what you got. We work with a lot of young people who have a ton of creativity in their own right, and some of them are going to be with us for a long time, but a lot of them are going to go on to do things for themselves. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone who doesn't know where to start, whether it's a creative endeavor or just a business endeavor. What's something that helped you get going? Well, I'd say the worst thing you can do is nothing. The worst thing you can do is just sit around and not make a decision and just have all these great ideas, but never act on any of them. So if Tony Robbins says, uh, I'm a big fan of, of self-help and even corny self-help. And I think Tony Robbins is like a little bit beyond that, but he says never leave the scene of a uh, a 
decision without taking action. So it's like do something about it. Actually start. So if you want to start a podcast, do you have one story? Do you have one interesting story that's happened in your life in the past 25 years that you can say, actually, you know what? I think people might be able to learn something from that. Then just record that. And that's exactly what I did when I started my podcast. It was, I was out talking with a friend. Like I never thought I had something interesting or worthwhile to talk about. And then I was like, oh yeah, there was that one time when I'd like royally screwed up on this freelance gig for a reality show where I forgot to hit record. And I was like, oh, that would be funny. It's a kind of funny story. It's cringy, but it's also, I think people would actually see that. Yeah, even though I made a Netflix documentary, I have made horrible mistakes in my life. So I think that's it. It's just like, even if you can teach something to yourself a year ago, like the year ago version of yourself, can you teach something to them? Probably just, you know, start doing it. I think you hit on a really cool thread there because the thing that you made your first podcast about was something that you screwed up. And I think a lot of people are waiting to have some shining moment or big crowning achievement that they feel is worthy enough to talk about with other people or share with the world, but something that was devastating can be equally, if not more entertaining. And do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like the moral, that was the moral of the story is that like these horrible things that you think are happening right now are going to be hilarious stories down the road. And it's like, you just have to be able to look back and laugh at it, or at least even in the moment, understand, okay, I know this sucks right now. This is really terrible. And like, I feel terrible about what happened, but it's going to be just fine in like three years. Have you ever thought about giving some mentorship to other people or taking people under your wing? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely thought about it and it's, it's something that I, I know that I should do. I think for me, all of this is new. The YouTube channel, the podcast, the fact that people now listen or watch anything I do, the fact that I can make a living doing it is all new. It's all something that's happened uh, within the past maybe 10 months or so. I mean, realistically, in the past six months is when I actually was able to actually make a living doing it. So it's like, okay, now that I'm, I'm here, I'm, I've, you know, quote unquote made it, or at least I'm at a place where I feel like I'm, well, I'm, I'm making a sustainable income from it. I'm like, cool, maybe now there's an opportunity to like bring an employee on or mentor somebody to help them. Uh, it's definitely something that I would like to do. Has your definition of success changed as you've come through the clouds of being this independent content creator, maybe one day you'll be able to earn a living doing it. Now you're earning a living doing it. Where does that shift your sights on what's the next level of success or what does winning look like to you? Yeah, I think that this is something that we even talked about before. It's just this idea of there is a bar and like success to me has always been, can I make a living doing what I love? And it's a very, it's a pretty low bar but also when you when you're not there that's a huge bar that's a that's a hard thing to get to when you are just starting out and you have no clients to being able to make 40 50,000 dollars a year as a freelance filmmaker if you're doing weddings or bar mitzvahs or whatever it takes to get there uh, it's it's the hardest gap i think to to get to and then for me it's just a con continual reminder of when i get these achievements that as important as it was to get there, because then I wouldn't continue to, I wouldn't be able to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, it's not now about, okay, well now I need to 10 X that, or everybody's obsessed with like five X, 10 X, 20 X your business. I'm going to 10 X your business, bro. Swipe up, dude, swipe up, click it. And link I'm like, in bio. right. I'm like, dude, come on guys. <laughs> 
Like, we don't need the 10X. You just need to get 1X. <laughs> People most know you from minimalism, and you talk a ton about minimalism. And one word that you say is kind of interchangeable with minimalism in, in some situations is the idea of, you know, maybe you're not a minimalist, but you can be an intentionalist. Mm-hmm. How, how does that affect your work, the things that you create, and not just, oh, cool, I, I don't need a ton of extra chairs in my apartment. Does that mindset influence your business? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that it's it's constantly rethinking and understanding that like as my personal life changes, as maybe, you know, maybe I tried surfing out and I have a surfboard and all that stuff, but then three years later, uh, you know what, I'm actually not that into surfing anymore, so I can get rid of my board. And I think that's the same thing that comes down... By the way, I don't surf, <laughs> if anybody's wondering, and I never have. But uh, when I'm thinking about my business and I'm thinking about whether it's a podcast or it's videos I'm making, topics that I'm covering, you have to continually ask yourself, is this something that I'm true, that's truly giving me something? Am I truly able to give other people it? Is it the best use of my time? And being willing to drop things and let go of things that may not fit into that category, I would say, is, is about being intentional with your decisions every day. So um, I think it comes with some hard decisions sometimes, but in the long run, you just have to be willing to change, right? I think people get so caught up in keeping things the way that they are because they're comfortable. And if you don't change, if you don't do something differently, then I think that's the path to mediocrity. What's the hardest thing you've had to drop or change since you started this freelance journey or independent content creator journey? The hardest thing I've had to drop, I think... Um, well, I mean like right now I'm, um, I don't know. When is this podcast coming out? <laughs> Whenever you want. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I have been thinking about just the podcast in general, my podcast in general, the ground up show. And that's something that I'm, I'm currently thinking about Well, I'm going to take a break month, maybe two max, and then just rethink it from there. I think it's, it's about identifying how much do I want to put myself into this like how if i were to just do this thing and enjoy every single aspect of it what would that look like who would i need to hire to do the shit i don't want to do and what would the show have to be like and who would i have to be interviewing for me to absolutely love every episode i do and i think that's like it's definitely like a privileged place to be it's a place of uh where i think i would like to get it to be uh because for me the podcast is something that i've loved and i've learned so much from but it has it starts to feel like work when you're simply like, when I'm like lugging the gear up and I'm setting up and I'm recording four episodes in two days because I don't want to record, uh, you know, and then set up the podcast once a week. Like when stuff starts to feel like work, figure out a way. I mean, there's going to naturally be things that are really work that you do in the day that you have to kind of drudge through. But for the most part, if it's a core aspect of what you do, how can you actually enjoy it? How can you like it? And sometimes it just takes taking a little bit of a pause and a breather to reassess where you want to go with it. It's really easy to start to self-identify as the things that we do, i.e. I'm a filmmaker or I'm a podcaster. And if I don't have a podcast anymore does that make me a less cool version of myself or if i take a break from making videos for a week am i still a filmmaker anymore or, or what is you know what is the value that i'm at what, what is my existence value we were value. kicking around the value <laughs> word jesus yeah um what what do you think your your core how do you identify as as a human being this is an incredibly huge mm. and insane question but i'm i'm really curious because 
films are something you're super passionate about and it's a medium and podcasts are something that you also do, but it's also a medium. Do you have a bigger message that you're spreading or a core concept that you're, that you dig into? I think that's probably something I need to flesh out more, but I know that it's don't be a dick. Just be like, cool. Be like, be a good person. I think, um, don't take yourself too seriously. Like the, I, these are kind of messages that I try to instill in my videos. Like, I mean, obviously self-development and minimalism are common themes, but I think people take themselves way, 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 way too seriously, especially when it comes to self-development type, the type world and like the 10 Xers and all that stuff is like, guys, just slow down and relax. Can we just enjoy this for a moment? Can we just take it in? And I think that's, uh, that's something that I, I continue to do. And if there's any kind of, um, personality I bring into my videos, it's, it's trying to just not take myself too seriously and not get uh, too like value oriented. Like everything is transactional in a way. Like what are you going to get out of this? And it's like, maybe it's laughing. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just, you had a good time in this conversation. Uh, And I think that's something that can be a little bit lost where everybody's trying to get more followers or increase their income. Everything's all about where they're going as opposed to where they are right now. Dude, awesome. I think that's a good ender. Yeah. Thank I, you so much for like coming on. Rants. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I love rants, yeah. <laughs> that's great, dude. This was so much fun. I really liked it. Cool, dude. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm going to hit that sweet button now. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the Brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a Brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the Brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal and they just care. They care about you. They care about me and I care about them. And that's why Cat Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. 